As a thank you in advance for listening to this episode, please feel free to grab yourself a free copy of the Book of Public Speaking at thebookofpublicspeaking.com. Hello, everybody. It is Corey Poirier. Really excited to be back with the latest episode and edition of the show. Really excited to have uh, a newer friend of mine who I met a couple of months, a few months ago. Uh, really love her story and her journey. Love bringing on new guests to the show, introducing them to our viewers and listeners. And so, Liz Tans, really excited to have you here today. Thank and you. where I think I'd like to start is to ask you a little bit about your backstory and your journey. Uh, for our listeners or viewers who may be discovering you for the first time. Well, where would you like me to start my backstory? All the way back? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I guess, you know, it depends on on context. So sometimes, you know, whenever um, we have guests on, they'll talk about, you know, their upbringing and how that impacted who they are. Other times, we'll people will just say, you know, here's the career I built and I'm passionate about, and this is my purpose. You All know? right. So it's, it, I leave it to the guest off. Okay, well, I, I'll, I'll take that lead and uh, I, will, I will share what I do now is I'm a ghostwriter and um, book editor and do a lot of work with authors in coaching them. How I came to be a ghostwriter really goes back to when I was a kid and had a lot of health challenges and so books were my best friend. And uh, the only way I could be competitive, because I couldn't run, I couldn't do a lot of the stuff that m most kids could do, was get the most gold stars on the reading chart. And because I always loved books, it was a natural fit for me to be a writer, except as what happens with most people, life intervenes and suddenly you think you're going down a path and then suddenly you turn right and then you go left and you end up somewhere you don't expect. So I spent 15 years in the market research industry <laughs> Uh, writing a lot of, uh, you know, letters of agreement and um, analyses and things like that, but uh, not actually writing. So once I decided to retire, retire from that industry, uh, I opened up my, uh, my, my first writing business called The Hired Pen and did a lot of content writing, uh, also did ghostwriting, but it was more in the articles and uh, white papers type vein, websites, things like that got really tired of that and went back to my first love, which is books. Wow, I, I love hearing that. And so <laughs> um, my, I guess my question out of that is, in terms of making that transition back, was that a, a tough transition for you or was that kind of a welcoming and a welcome transition where it was your first love? Like, was it, was it scary at all? Or did you just find that because it was your passion that you just got pulled right back? I had been doing books uh, pretty consistently, but it wasn't my main focus. And when I decided to focus exclusively on books, it felt like I was coming home. It just everything, yeah, I felt like I was in the flow and everything that I needed to have happen to make that happen just happened, to use the same word several times. That it, it, everything just flowed into place and I've been able to find more referral sources, have had a steady stream of clients and getting ready to launch a new program this uh, at the end of the summer in August that I'm really excited about. And it 
but can I share the story why I went back to that? Yeah, absolutely, please. So in 2016, I was really burned out on doing what I was doing, uh, aside from books, and was, was actually starting to look for a job. And I had my resume spiffed up, did my LinkedIn profile, but I was worried about my dog, Katie, because she was 13. She had never not known me to be home in her entire life. She'd spent next to me or under my desk um, in my business. And so I was trying to find something that I could either do remotely or I could take her to work with me. And then she died very suddenly. And I was heartbroken and decided to pull back from looking for a job. And I really had to sit and think about what it is that I wanted to do. And I realized that Katie had, had given me the gift of, mom, you're free. You can do whatever you want now. But I didn't really want to be free. I really wanted my dog back. Could, that couldn't happen. So what I ended up doing after a lot of thought, I guess maybe even a little bit of prayer, a little bit of, I don't know what I should be doing. Um, books, just one day, it was like, this is what you should be doing. And I'm looking around going, who said that? I mean, literally, it was like a voice was saying, this is what you should be focusing on. So to bring Katie with me, I renamed my business Fuzzy Dog. I really wanted to yell it, name it Yellow Dog, but somebody in St. Louis, where I live, had already trademarked that. So I was like, shoot. Uh, so I became Fuzzy Dog, which makes most people smile. Most When people hear the name of my business, the first thing they ask is, well, what is it that you do? And I'm sure they're thinking I'm a dog groomer, a dog trainer, or something pet related. So they're always surprised when I say, no, I'm a ghostwriter. I love that. And you know, it's, it's interesting. I mean, so I'm, a, I'm an animal lover, so I totally get that. We actually, I think you and I chatted about this uh, when, we, when we met up, is that we put our dog Sprocket down just in the past year. And so, mm -hmm. I, you know, we have a picture up of him and, and our, our one and a half year old. Uh, we don't know if he remembers Sprocket or if they just sees a dog. Like, he was one when Sprocket passed away. So we don't know mm -hmm. how much he remembers him. But he points at the picture we have of Sprocket wearing a tuxedo and go, goes, oof, oof, oof. <laughs> So I don't, we don't know if he, he's, he's recognizing that's the dog I used to have or mm -hmm. if he just recognizes it's a dog. But I totally understand the connection to that. Um, what I was going to ask you to dive into where you spend a lot of your time, because I think this is a very important uh, message to and uh, an area for those of our listeners who are maybe solopreneurs, lifestylepreneurs, who maybe want to get their words out in a book, mm -hmm. is around what you see and I'll ask you this as somebody who, and that you and I chatted and we met just like just after I had already mm -hmm. signed my book over to Morgan James and they assigned right. me an editor. Um, but I know we're going to work together because I, I, my books don't stop. I mean, I'm at 12 now, so I have lots of needs in that area. Uh, <laughs> but what I, what I see though is writers, um, it seems like writers overall maybe make common mistakes and, and I don't mean just on the writing side, but how they position the writing, present the writing, and all that kind of stuff, whether it's for writing for a business or writing a book, um, where do you see the common mistakes? Because I mean, I'd love to help people avoid making those kind of mistakes over and over again. So especially with business writers, do you see common mistakes, Liz, that people make over and over? I do. I do. One of them is not bringing an editor on soon enough. Mm. It may sound odd because usually the editing process comes at the end. But somebody like me and, and, and other people that do what I do, we're, we can be very instrumental at the start of a book and we'll help you not go down the wrong path. Uh, a lot of times what I'll see in business books, and, and I think people are told to do this, 
is, well, you should sell within your book. And that's not a bad thing, but if you're hitting people over the head using salesy language, mm-hmm. you're gonna turn people off. And I mean, the other thing is, is if you're sending them to a website, do you really wanna do that in your middle of, the middle of the book? And again, I, I realize this is what people always say you should do. And for certain books, it does make sense, but not for all books. And so if you're writing a memoir and you have a, hey, get my free bonus in the middle of your book, well, that's a disconnect. So, so what I really try to do with, with people is help them not make those mistakes, help them figure out what path they need to follow for their book. Because a lot of times, I don't know if you've ever seen books that are kind of all over the place or somebody was told, well, writing a book is like writing 10 little books. And in a way it really is. Except if you don't tie those little books together to make one big book, then all you have is 10 little books and the reader's not going to understand what exactly you're trying to talk about and what your, what your focus is or what your mission is. So those are, those are some of the most common. Um, Not being aware of your words would be another one. I have edited books where the author, this is pretty common. Everybody has pet words. Right. And this particular author used two pet words repeatedly. I mean, almost, not every sentence, but almost every sentence, certainly every paragraph, these same two words were in the book. So I'm pulling out the thesaurus coming, okay, what, what's another word for this? And, and you know, trying to put in different things so he didn't sound so repetitive. He wasn't even aware of that. When he got the book back, he was like, I had no idea that I used that book, that, that word all the time. Wow. I, I love that. And I love what you said about uh, almost too salesy in the book because there's a book I have here and I can't, I wouldn't say the name anyway, but I can't remember who it is even myself. Mm-hmm. And that, that tells you something. I don't even remember which book it was. I don't remember the name of the author, but I know if I saw his name or the book, it would like, I immediately I'd be turned off from his writing because mm-hmm. it was so salesy. It was like I was attending his pitch webinar or seminar for the whole book. And it, and it was like a 300 page book. And mm-hmm. I'm like, I, once I, I couldn't finish a chapter, but I skipped ahead to see like this all the way through. And it was. And so, you know, there's one thing to be saying, you know, like maybe at the first of the book, you know, thank you for grabbing my book. And as a free giveaway, I want to give you the, da- the audio version as well. Mm-hmm. That's one thing versus saying, um, you know, when you sign up for my seminar at this website and then the next page, um, now that you've signed up for the webinar for my website, on my website, and you know, like, like you said, beating them over the head with it. Mm-hmm. I think where the problem comes in sometimes is you keep hearing the words, your, your book is just an expensive business card. It's and not. I think the problem with that is that then people who don't see the potential and value in writing a quality book think, well, what does it matter? It's just my business card anyway. And, you know, I don't care. And, and then we hear the thing, well, what about the percentage that doesn't read it, but now they know you're an author. So then they think, well, it doesn't even matter what's inside. I think we're maybe getting the wrong message. And then, you know, mm-hmm. adding that to the fact that everybody says, well, you can just do a Kindle now and people put out like a five page Kindle book and position right. it as a full book. I guess I, there's a question in there as well. Of, do you think it's important that we still remember how valuable and important a high quality book can be? The, sorry, and I'm trying to grab my cat because I don't live with dogs now. I live with cats and they're a lot harder to corral. Um, I have two. <laughs> uh, I totally spaced on what you just asked me. Oh yeah, uh, just <laughs> in terms of, uh, I guess I was asking as it relates to putting out a book 
and you know when it comes to say uh writing a quality book do you think it, it's still as important as it's ever been to focus on quality yes yes and thank you for repeating that because i had a senior moment yeah that's um, all good. yes i i mean that's that's really what what i preach and frankly the people that that i hang out with that's what we preach because what you don't want to do is is make those assumptions oh well it's it's just a and and, and no disrespect to any of the you know write a book in a weekend or write your book in six days or you know those those things serve a purpose those are not the purpose that i serve though what i want every author i work with to come away with is either a master plan for their book that is that is kick-ass that will get them writing the book they need to write or if i'm if i'm ghostwriting for them or doing the editing for them doing uh you know having a book that will allow them to say exactly what they want to say so that they have that's the so that they get the respect because to me a book is a respect building tool it's it's a way to get your message out and if you do it well with words people can resonate with that aren't you know 60 letters long um i'm a i'm a very simple writer that's that again is that's another mistake a lot of writers make is that they have to use these big words mm -hmm. but in in my business and, and again the people i hang out with high quality is really what we're all after we want a high quality finished product and what's between the covers has to be the right words yeah it's such a great point you mentioned about the big words because i'm not in that camp of you know using superficial superficialist words and stuff uh to try to add into my book but it's funny i just was watching the wiggles this morning which uh, as children you know knows for sure what i'm talking about and it was interesting because i watched it and i was like you know that word that they just said was not for the kids at most it was for adults because they said he said um lucky if, if i wash the di or if you wash the dishes now i'll wash i'll do it tomorrow because i gotta run or whatever and lucky said yes and he said awesome we have a uh, reciprocal commitment. <laughs> and like my one and a half year old there, and you know, even if he was five, there's that, that goes, he doesn't even know what luck, uh, what the guy just said. And no. so the point is, I understand that you realize adults are watching it, but couldn't you have said something different? Cause are you, the whole idea is to teach the ch children about you do and I'll do. So mm -hmm. could you say, like, if you do it today, I'll do it tomorrow. Wouldn't that be more, I don't know. I would just think that would serve a child listening better than say mm -hmm. reciprocation. Like, what does that mean? Right. To, I mean, I didn't know what that word meant until I was probably like 14. Right. It, you're right. I mean, now I was raised in, in, the, in an environment where my mother was very well spoken. She, she put a lot of emphasis on speaking well and writing well. And so my, my brother, who's, who's a blue collar guy is, is, probably the best spoken guy in his, in the company that he works in. And he's, and he's told me that, so that I, I feel free to share that. Um, so, but, but using big words when they don't apply. I mean, if you're a scholar and you're writing a literary book or you're writing a piece of research, then it's expected because other people that are going to read that are going to be at the same level that you are. But if you're writing to be accessible, and that's the other piece of what I try to talk to, what I try to teach my authors, uh, is that your, your book has to be accessible. There's a, there's a guy called the name tag guy, um, Scott Ginsburg, 
and he used to be, he, he came from St. Louis, he lives in New York now, but he literally has a name tag tattooed on his chest. He has worn a name tag since he was 19 and he's in his late thirties now, maybe mid thirties. Anyway, so his thing is you have to have a nice front porch and, and, and a, a friendly front porch. And really that's the start of your book. It has to be a friendly front porch in order for someone to say, oh, I want to read that. So it's the cover, it's the words on the cover, it's the words on the back, which, okay, that could be the back door, but you get my point. It's, yeah. it's, you have to have something that invites people in. And when you use words people don't understand, it's, it's not friendly. Yeah, I love that. And, and one thing I wanted to dial back around to, Liz, that you said that I think is important, especially for entrepreneurial authors, is don't forget your book. Like, let's say if you're at the stage of doing a proposal, and for whatever your goal is with your book, whether it's to pitch it to a major publisher or a publisher, because that could be the case, but you could also could be using your book to get funding or whatever that could be, meaning your mm -hmm. book proposal. You said a key thing that I think a lot of people forget, and I lucked in or lucked out early on, maybe because I do respect the, the written word so much, but I knew, and, and by the way, I was a person that barely graduated high school. Uh, I didn't know the difference between the, there, possessive and there. I didn't know the difference between um, fiction and nonfiction, no joke. I was 18, I still didn't know the difference. I didn't read my first book till I was 27. So I understood that I wasn't the guy to write and edit it. So mm -hmm. all of my books, even ones that were self-published that I did a proposal for, I would actually send the proposal to and pay an editor, edit my proposal. Mm -hmm. But the reason I bring this up is people say they wanna be with a publisher. And one thing I can tell you, it doesn't make sense because you think a publisher would just be looking for the good idea. But mm -hmm. they're looking at how good of a quality writer you are. And the funny part is they're going to sign an editor or give you an editor or you're going to hire an editor anyway, which is kind of ironic because you think then they would say, well, it doesn't matter your quality writing. But if you already send it in highly polished, they're going to view you in a different way than all those manuscripts that come across with mistakes and errors and what have you. And it's going to make your life easier anyway. Mm -hmm. So to your point, I like what you said there. I think it's a big takeaway is edit the book whatever stage it's at, maybe, I mean, maybe you write it and then edit it, but edit the book before you would normally edit the book, if that makes sense. Like, like you said, if, it's, if you're doing a pitch and you have to do a couple of chapters, get the chapters and the pitch edited. Whatever mm -hmm. that stage is, I agree with you completely that you should edit as you go or edit uh, when you need to present it to somebody rather than just winging it. And to back that up, uh, James Redfield, who you and I both have talked about, one of the things he did with the Celestine Prophecy, which certainly proved itself in terms of sales that it made sense to do it, he sent it out to 50 people, 5-0, and got them to tell him where they were stuck on pages, where they went wrong. And they even picked up on uh, editorial errors. Mm -hmm. He had basically 50 editors editing that book. And then every time they suggested change, he would make changes accordingly. Mm -hmm. uh, he did that before most people would even be finished the book. You know, and, like and that was that was really smart. And, and I do strongly urge all authors to get beta readers because if you, especially if you're writing a business book, you're so stuck inside your business and inside what you know, it's you forget what people don't know. So it's like giving directions to your house and forgetting one of the one of the uh, one of the the uh, the roads that you need to get there is because it's 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 a key piece. So yeah, you don't want to you definitely want to edit as you go and edit multiple times, which most people don't want to do. They just want to write it. I have gotten first drafts before and sent them back. They were that bad. Yeah, and said, please edit this before you send it back to me because 
I can't edit this. I don't know what you're saying. So, you know, so editing and beta readers are really a key piece of getting a high quality book. Awesome stuff. Well, Liz, I know we've given listeners so much to work with already. And with your permission, I'm going to call it a to be continued. Yeah. I, think I told you at the beginning that uh, before we even got on air that I do that often whenever I know it's an area where we barely scratch the surface, but you never know until the conversation and how deep of the surface you're gonna scratch. And I know what we've shared is gonna just make people have an appetite for more. At the same time, I think just what we gave them, just what we talked about now and gave them could be a game changer if people apply mm -hmm. that. So again, editing as you go, uh, beta readers, like I, when I listen to James' story, he has about four or five key things that he did that I don't hear many authors doing that I really feel was a game changer and it being a life-changing book. And mm -hmm. so beta was a big one for him. Um, you know, you talked about where some people make the mistakes, how they use their own pet language in the book. Uh, also where people, um, as they're going through, they try to use bigger words than they need to. So I'm repeating all this because of somebody listening, it gives them a takeaway, but mm -hmm. I think it also shows them how much we covered in 20 minutes. So thank you right. Liz, for coming on this short journey with me, but with your permission, let's call it a to be continued and we'll dive in from where we left off next time. That sounds terrific, Corey. Thank you so much. Awesome. And last quick question is where can people learn more? If they want to connect with you. Well, I am on social media as fuzzy dog or fuzzy dog LLC. Or you can find me online at uh, www.fuzzydogllc.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.